Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be with you guys again. This is episode five, which is crazy that we are already this far along. It's been so fun to do this, and I've enjoyed connecting with people through this podcast. Hey, the music that you're hearing is from our friend Ryan Allwart. If you have not checked out his Christmas album, Indiana Christmas, do it today because Christmas is next week. That means that we are right in the middle of the Christmas hustle. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of this season leaving so many people feeling wiped out and stressed. It's the complete opposite of what we should be feeling this time of the year. Yet we're all running around like crazy to get shopping done or finish deadlines at work or attending a bunch of Christmas parties. There's just this hustle mindset that seems to set in this time of the year and we start freaking out a little bit. What needs to happen is that we need to create some space and just slow down. Well, friends, that is the topic of this week's show. My guest this week is Amanda Carpenter, author of The Space Devotional. She has so much insight on this topic, so we talked a ton about slowing down this time of the year to create space in our lives and maintain balance, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all of it. We also talked about her new book coming out in early 2021. And if you're an aspiring author, we dove into the book writing process and she gives some really great tips on how to go about doing that. Amanda has been a huge help to me as I've been writing my own book. So if you're interested at all in writing a book, this conversation is definitely for you. I'm excited for you all to hear this conversation because I think it's so important to hear right now. If you know somebody who thinks that they're too busy to listen to this, they're probably the person who needs to hear this conversation. So be sure to tell them to listen as well. But thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with author Amanda Carpenter. Well, Amanda Carpenter, thank you so much for for joining me. I know uh, you and I have talked quite a bit over the internet, kind of about writing and book publishing and all sorts of creative topics. But um, big news, you you recently posted you've got a book coming out in early 2021. What can you tell us about that book so far? Yeah. Oh, goodness. I, you know, by the time you get a deal, you should probably have your elevator pitch nailed down and I still don't. So that's a problem. No, I'm in the the writing phase of just finishing my manuscript right now. So this is a book really that shares my personal journey and invites everyone into their own journey of doing the deep inner soul work. You know, there are so many books and um, resources and just people advocating for kind of living your best life. And a lot of that um, is great and wonderful, but I want to go deeper. And so this book is beyond just getting the right amount of water intake every day or exercising and getting enough sleep and all of those things, which which are great and necessary for men, for all of us. But um, this book is about like finding out, really discovering your shadow side. Um, a lot of work that I've done through counseling and therapy and um, just different practices that help me uh, because at one point or another, I think all of us struggle with like being a performer, whether mm-hmm. you're an Enneagram three or not, right? Like I'm not an Enneagram three, but I still know that if I pay attention, I can tend to perform. I think all of us can get caught up in that. And so this book is really trying to flip the script for social performers, which again, I think is all of us at one point or another and help us embrace soul conscious practices. How do we live really conscious of what's going on deep below the surface. So that's kind of the best elevator pitch I can give you right now. But yes, the book will be out in February of 2021. So we're finishing the manuscript right now. And then it'll go through a year of editing and just fine tuning and um, book launch prepping. 
How long did you have this idea for this book? I mean, I know for me, the book that I'm working on has been sitting on my mind for over two years. I know for this book that you were that you got a deal for, how long was this on your mind that you were thinking about? This is what I want to write about. It's mm, a great question. I've I had a few different book proposals with different ideas for the past several years now, but um, getting getting my book deal proved. Um, I think what happened, sorry, I'm not articulating this very well. I think, I think what happened is I had a couple different ideas, but I wasn't clear on what God was calling me to write about. And when I found out what that was and there was clarity there, I was like, no freaking way. Like, I do not want to write that book. And that's exactly the book that I have to write now. Um, it's definitely not the book that I wanted to write in terms of now, yeah, it, I'm totally excited to write it. It's not the book I wanted to write because it definitely call, like requires me to be stripped of my pride and to reveal things that I wouldn't necessarily want to reveal to the world. Um, but that's that's what it's about. So by the time I got this deal, I had come around to, okay, this is the book God's calling me to write. And um, just the way it played out, I think it was very evident that it was the exact direction that God was calling me. So I'm excited but it wasn't at all my original idea. Right. So, What does your writing process look like? You know, I think everybody has their own way that they formulate their ideas. For me as a journalist, moving into a time where I was writing a book, it's a very, very different process because I'm so used to doing interviews and turning out a story very quickly. Book writing, at least for me, has been a very long, laborious process, I guess is mm -hmm. the best way to put it. But what does your writing process look like, you know, for any authors that might be listening or aspiring writers or aspiring authors that maybe don't know where to start or how to formulate an idea to get started on writing a book? What does your writing process look like and how do you advise other new writers? Yeah, I would say, okay, maybe this is not the best advice, but I'll just tell you what comes up for me. Number one, if you do want to write a book, don't just set out to write a book and start writing it. Really focus on a proposal. And there's tons of information like all over the internet um, about all of this. So like just start researching what the steps are and take those steps. Because if you write a whole book without a deal, you there's a chance you could get a deal. And then that will just be a very smooth process of moving your manuscript into an editing phase. But that's really rare. Um, what I found is that mm -hmm. you need to focus on your proposal and building. I hate this language. I hate it so much, but I have to say it. And building your platform so that they can see not only that you have a brilliant idea and a unique idea for a book that's filled with timeless truths, but also that you're the person to write it, that, that you have a voice that people are listening to and for whatever reason are influenced by, and that it's going to sell, right? And then um, obviously they will maybe tweak your idea and work with you on flushing out what all this will look down, look like and break it down for you and then move on. So that was just a very tangible thing. But for me, as far as my writing process goes, it's like the way that I would describe it. I've said this to so many people, there's so many things in my life that I'll do for a season. And then it kind of like goes on the shelf or like, for example, eating clean. I am not good at eating clean. Like <laughs> I go through phases of eating clean, um, working out. I wouldn't say I'm like a binge workouter. Like I work out and then I stop altogether, but I definitely, it like, it definitely ebbs and flows, right? There's all these different parts to my life that sort of have their seasons or they ebb and flow. Um, I'm totally a binge reader. Like I go through, I'll read like six books in a row and then I feel like I don't read for two months and then I'll read again. Like so much of my life is in that rhythm, 
But writing, what I found for me, has never had breakdowns. Like it's never had um, a standstill moment. I have not gone a day without writing in years. Like I can't think of a day. Now, just so that no one thinks like, what, is she just writing all the, like what what does that look like? For me, a lot of times, like I will write a hundred different blog posts or books or ideas or whatever you want to call it in my mind all day long. And I write everything down in the notepad of my phone. So in my notes, I have thousands of notes. And then separate from that, I keep organized. I have a journal in my phone and a handwritten journal. And I've kind of moved away from handwriting um, and more towards just on my phone or on the computer, keeping a journal. But I just, I have to write every day. It's how I process. It's my time with God. It's like so much of my being. And so I, I remember when I had that realization that like, oh my gosh, the one thing I can't go a day without doing is writing. Like I I can't go a day without doing it. It was just like the most natural thing for me. And that may not be the case for everybody, but if it's not, I would really recommend a book called The Artist's Way. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it's by Julia Cameron or something. I might have her name wrong, but um, I have two copies of it. I love it. It's called The Artist's Way. And one of the things that she does is it's not just a book you sit and read. Like it's a book that calls you to there's a lot of call to action. And one of the things that she requires you to do is these things called morning pages. And without giving it all away, if you are someone who is a writer or any type of creative person, and you want to um, just kind of like boost your creativity and get a little more disciplined, I highly recommend reading and actually doing um, the artist way. It, it was so helpful for me. Yeah, I really, you know, when I first started my process, um, you know, my wife was following you on Instagram and she said, Hey, there's this author you ought to reach out to. Cause I was very new in this whole process. And I was like, okay, I'm going to reach out to different people and just pick their brain about what I'm, what am I supposed to do? I had no idea how to write a book or what to go, what to do about it. And so your advice, like you were mentioning, focusing on the proposal, I think I have spent over a year just focusing on the proposal because for me, I don't want to send something off. Like if, if I'm truly believing that this is a project that I'm like passionate about, that I believe in, I don't want to send it off before it's too early. I've, like I've spent so much time making sure that this is what I want it to, you know, what I want it to look like. Like I, like I sent you part of it back in March, I think, and I'm still working on it because I want to make sure that it's right. And I'm not saying I'm going to spend forever on it, but you know, I've written, I think you, the suggestion usually is two or three chapters give a sample to the to publishers or agents, and then they can decide if they want to represent your book. And, you know, for me, that's been a really helpful process because I think it's helped simplify that process. And, you know, writing a book, whenever you just think about it, could seem like a very large task. But when you break it down like that, you know, focus on the research first, focus on the, the, the book proposal and the different elements of that. And like you said, there's a lot of resources out there that can help you write a book proposal if you don't know how to do that. Because for me, it was a brand new thing. You know, I went to school for journalism and I did take creative writing as a minor, but I never learned how to write a book proposal. And even at that point, it probably would have been a fiction book proposal, which is a lot different than a nonfiction book proposal. But, you know, it's it's been interesting to learn about that whole process. And uh, I'm just curious, like for you, who were people that you looked up to that maybe helped you get started in your process. And I guess when was the moment that you want that you knew you wanted to be an author? I mean, obviously writing is one thing, but turning that into a professional rewriting books is a different. So I guess to rephrase that, who is, you know, who are some mentors for you? And then how did you know that you wanted to become an author? Yeah, I so I always wanted to be an author. I think since I was a little girl, I've always like 
bought those books at my elementary school book fair that are like these, I don't know if everyone had them or if it was just my school, but they were these hardcover white books that are totally blank. And I would like beg my mom for $20 to buy like five of them. And Mm -hmm. then throughout the school year, I would write books and um, decorate them and get them laminated. And my mom actually gave me one the other day and she was like, just to keep you motivated, here's one of your first books. Like it was like this really cute sentimental moment. Um, But yeah, I've always wanted to be an author, I think just sort of like deep down writing was always my favorite part in school. I just, and I, gosh, I've just always loved stories and reading it, which goes so hand in hand. You cannot be a good writer if you're not a good reader. That's definitely uh, something I've found out. Um, but I think for me, as far as getting this deal and really knowing like that, I want to make a career out of writing books came after I self-published my first devotional. So Let me back up because this actually answers your other question too. I have two mentors in my life, um, Rocio and Katie. Rocio's here in Chicago with me. Katie's in Indianapolis, so a couple hours away. Um, But they both mentor me and neither of them are, both of them are creative people. Both of them actually do write. um, So there's some overlap there, but they're both like almost, if not a decade older than me. And then, um, so they're just more seasoned in life. They have more life experience, which is what you want in a mentor, someone who has already traveled down the road that you're walking or has had more experience in life. And they just really helped speak truth into me along with some friends, my husband, um, as I navigated leaving my job in January. So I left my job almost a year ago, 11 months ago. I left my job. I was working at my church full time. Um, I left my job to do this full time and it, and it was the perfect timing to leave because financially it made sense. Um, I was, I had released a self-published devotional a year ago. So last December, that's crazy. I can't believe it's December. Um, (laughs) a year ago I released this self-published devotional and to be totally honest with you, I didn't have plans for that to propel my book career. I almost just saw it as this little side thing. I I don't know why now I look at it and I'm like, oh, that so clearly is what like helped me get my book deal because I was able to prove to publishers I could sell X amount of copies in six months. Like I can do this thing. And I think that I know that that actually really helped me get, get a deal. But, um, but they're friends and mentors and, and other author friends like Annie Downs has been incredibly helpful. Jordan Julie's been incredibly helpful. Um, they have all like, they really do live with such an abundant mindset. And that's how I try to live my life too, right? Not the scarcity mindset, but believing there is room for all of us and that you have a seat at the table and, you know, like we're not all competing for a book deal, right? That, that there actually is when you go into Barnes and Noble, like look at all the books, like you don't have to feel like there's no way mine could ever be published if hers gets published, right? It's like we, there's room for all of us. And so they were all incredibly generous in just kind of cheering me on and speaking truth. Like, Hey, I really think you should focus on the platform building right now. Like, I don't think you should put your efforts here or Hey, Annie Downs, I think was the one who said to me, have you recorded the number of copies of your space devotional that have sold in the first six months? Because from what you're telling me, that's a great number and they're going to want to know that. And so it was like, oh, oh yeah, I should, I should include that information, <laughs> duh. Um, but anyways, I think I answered your question probably and then some, but my space devotional that I self-published 
like I said, really didn't have some big aspiration for it. Just I, that was truly a um, like a project out of obedience. I walked a private journey with the Lord in terms of that content and then decided because I'm a writer, I'm going to put it together, um, kind of package it up into a 30 day devotional for other people. And then from there, it just kind of the ball was moving and um, left my job, continued to just move forward one step at a time. That's so refreshing to hear because I'm, I'm not going to name names, but it has been very frustrating for me when I've reached out to people who I've really looked up to authors, people in the writing industry, the Christian writing industry, and I've either gotten, you know, no response, which I understand that they're, that they're busy, but I've gotten, some of them have just been like cold. Like I've gotten some cold responses from people that I did not expect it to be that way. And I told my wife, I said, if I ever make it successful as a writer please do not ever let me treat people that way and so to hear you talk like we're huge andy downs fans in this house my wife is a huge andy downs fan she got to go see her at her come to the table events and you know we listen to her podcast all the time and so you know i i look at what she does and it's like you know she is amazing at what she does and so to hear you know people like her that are also just generous with their, you know, their ideas and their expertise is awesome because I have run into a lot of roadblocks and it's been a little frustrating. Um, but you know, I understand there's a lot of people that are busy. They don't always have time for people, but for me, it's like, if I ever get to that point, you know, I will, I want to at least be able to say, look, Hey, I can't right now, but you know, give me some time and I'll try to help you out here or there, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I just wanted to say that it's really refreshing to hear that there's people out there that are, that are willing to help because it is a hard thing to do. If you've never written a book and you've never really broken into this industry, what I've found is that it's, it's a tarp. And, um, you know, like, that's why I wanted to say, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you've been willing to help me out a little bit because, um, that's, I mean, it's been such a huge help to get me just started on writing my, my book proposal. I had no idea what to do. And you were kind enough to kind of share with me a template that you've used. And then, uh, some ideas that you've given to me, you know, even just like, this podcast has kind of come from some ideas that I've gotten from different people that I've talked to. And, you know, like we talked about, I hate that you have to build a platform, but it is part of it. Cause the, cause you know, publishers want to know like how many people are interested in your content that you're putting out there. So I don't know. It's just really refreshing to hear that there's people out there that are, that are willing to help. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your space devotional, I think is a great thing to talk about for this podcast because um, you know, the, top, the, the name of the podcast is In No Hurry, and there's just a lot of content right now that is telling us to slow down and to give ourselves space and, to, you know, to give us time to, to focus on our relationship with God or with our families and to just be still, you know, that kind of thing. So in, in this busy season, you know, between Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, how can we create space in our lives to maintain a good balance? Mm, I love this question. I would start by just saying really quick to back up when my space devotional came out a year ago, it's, it's really cool. Well, let me actually fast forward today. <laughs> we have books that are out like to hell with the hustle by Jefferson Bethke and, um, uh, the John Mark Comer one, um, totally. Yeah, elimination of hurry. Yes, there we go. Um, rhythms of renewal by Rebecca Lyons. I'm trying to think. There's a few others. But anyways. Emily Lay had a book out too, I think. Yes. Well. Yes, exactly. You have all these books that came out recently that all have to do with the same central idea, which they're all different and they're all amazing. I've read three or four of them already, but um, they all came out. And when I look at my space devotional and how I wrote it, totally self-published it, didn't have an editor the first time around, like just obeyed what I felt God was calling me to do to share my private journey with him publicly in that way. 
um, on that same concept of slowing down, being with God, fighting for my space, living with um, these rhythms that were healthy instead of the way the world was kind of rugging me, running me ragged. Anyways, when I was writing that, it according to the traditional publishing route, that's when they were writing theirs too. And I just think it's cool that God put like the same kind of idea into all these different people. And mine came out as a self-published devotional a bit earlier than theirs did. Now their books are all out. And, and like, it's just been so neat to me to see this shift in our culture. Like, I think all of us are sort of like, okay, it was the hustle, 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 like four years ago. And now we're like, we're all burnt out. Let's slow down. Let's find better rhythms, especially as followers of Jesus. Like, I think we're all kind of hitting that point where we're like, this isn't how we were created to live. And so I did, I wrote that space devotional and to answer your question around this time of year with the holidays and the craziness, there are so many little things we can do. Number one, you don't have to do everything or say yes to everything. So you don't have to go to a party you're invited to. You don't have to follow the tradition of sending out a Christmas card. If that's something, you know, that's just causing stress or financial stress or, or this idea of like looking like this perfect family or whatever it is. Like last year I didn't send Christmas cards, but we took that exact amount of money. My husband and I used to send a lot of Christmas cards. So it was usually averaged out to like $250 in Christmas cards. And we took that money and said, gave it to someone we knew who needed it and just said to hell with sending Christmas cards. Like, yeah, we don't have time to get a picture. I don't want to like, it's stressing me out just thinking about all that stuff. But we, at that point last year, we were like, but we have the money. Let's do something good with it. Right. That's a way that you can tap into space is you can say, okay, I'm going to sit for a moment and I'm going to take inventory of my life. Is it my physical space that's stressing me out? Like, do we just have too much stuff? Maybe this year for Christmas, we don't buy gifts. We just do an experience together or we just go serve together or whatever. Is it my inner space? Am I feeling a certain type of way? Um, do I need to check in with a counselor and work through some stuff or do I need to go? I'm not even Catholic, but I have found the practice of confession to be so transformative and you don't even have to go to a, a, a church or, or a mass or whatever for that. Could, could you find someone like a mentor or a spouse or, or whoever, maybe it is a counselor to practice confession, to create some space in your soul. Um, you know, people who tell me they don't have time to be with God, it actually makes me angry. And I've, mm -hmm. I've kind of to the point where I'm like, I get really feisty in my response. <laughs> Everybody I know is on Instagram and everybody I know is on Instagram at least five minutes a day. If you are on Instagram five minutes a day, cut that and take that five minutes and use it to be with God. Um, to me, there is no excuses. Like I'm a mom of three kids and I find time to be with God. And if, if ever I dare to say, I don't have time, let's take a look at my phone. How often right. am I taking a photo? How often am I on Instagram? How often am I on my email? Like, come on people. Like we all have time. We all have the same amount of time. It is how we use it. And so space does get into a little bit of the practicality of creating sustainable, healthy rhythms. I do not believe that waking up and spending an hour with God and my Bible every morning is going to work for me. I don't do that. Um, mm. Instead, I actually, for me, it works to do it over my lunch hour. That's when I have my time with God. That's what's working for me in this season. And like, I think that's the thing too, is we have these pictures in our minds of what's supposed to be or what we think should be. And 
why? Like your quiet time, quote unquote, does not have to be an hour long. It doesn't have to be in the morning. It doesn't have to be with your Bible. It could just be prayers at lunchtime in your car on like if you work and you just go to your car and you take 10 minutes and you just go and like pray and meditate and be still. Um, sorry, I could go on a rant, but this is what <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so, so passionate about. And then with the holidays, like I said, I mean, again, I'm going to shop for my kids, but like, we're going to do the, um, I don't know how many people have heard this, but it's the something to wear, something to read, something you need and something you want. So they're each going to get four gifts and it's going to be one of each of those things. That's awesome. And that's it. And they're going to be just fine. They're going to survive. Um, and if they don't like it, it'll be a great lesson that this is not what the holidays are all about anyway, you know? Um, and other things like I, I wrote a devotional that's just, just an email devotional that people can sign up for through, through my Instagram bio or on my website, but it's an expectations devotional. I think around the holidays, especially we struggle with our unmet expectations. Right. And, and to me, that goes so hand in hand with space. Like you need to stop. Like I said, you have to, you have to pause. That's step one. You have to take inventory of what's going on inside you, around you. What's your space like? Then you need to say, like, what are some of my expectations? Are these realistic? Have I communicated them? Which ones need to go out the window? You know, like you have to be real about all of that in order to keep the holidays not only like meaningful and what they're all about, but just to keep your sanity and honestly to live um, in step with the Lord. Like we were not called to be this these frantic, stressed out, um, just honestly scavenge comes to mind. They're just like, I don't know, people go crazy around this time of year for so many mm-hmm. reasons. And we were not created to be that way. And I found that every time I spend time with God and just like bring all of that to him and just kind of sit even, like I don't even have to say anything. And not only do I, I hate the word, I don't like just talking about feelings, but not only do I feel better afterwards, but like I am transformed. Like there is something that the Holy Spirit does inside of me that when I go about my day, then I'm different. And that interaction is different. That event is different. That gathering is different. And so, yeah, space is so important to my life. And I, I tell people all the time, my fav- one of my favorite quotes from the devotional is that space used well isn't selfish. Mm-hmm. Because I think so often we think about creating space in a variety of ways, like I said, and and we we could almost take it to a selfish point, like I'm just gonna nap and I'm gonna do my thing, and it can be it can become very me focused, and in some ways it needs to be in the beginning because you have to revamp, you have to kind of overhaul your life and your rhythms and like the way you think, and then the kind of next step as you move along in the journey and throughout the devotional is figuring out how to use your space well. How can you use it to show up better for other people? How can you use your space to serve someone else? So, you know, a variety of ways. You could double up a recipe. If you're cooking a big pasta dish for your family, could you just double up and go take one over to your neighbor for no reason at all? Or to the person who just had a baby or who's in a big transition, maybe they're going through a divorce, right? There's another way that I tell people that use your space well. And that's not by doing anything, but by having the practice of space in your life and by spending time with God, how much better are you able to show up for your spouse, to show Mm -hmm. up for your friends in conversation, to play with your kids, right? Like for me, it, it has transformed me and really space for me is a synonym to like time with Jesus. It just spelled it out in a way that I think is accessible for people who 
also identify as maybe like a non-believer. Um, and so it's like been interesting to, to hear feedback from people who are like, I don't believe in Jesus, but like, this has been amazing. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, well, the Holy Spirit will do what it's going to do. Right. Like, that's awesome. So, yeah. yeah that, that is, that is so good. I feel like you could talk for an hour on all of that. that. That's such a good, that's such a good reminder. It just, I could tell how you came with, came out with the whole book about it. Cause obviously you're so passionate about it and it's such a good reminder in this season of, of the, the year to just realize we, we don't have to be going a hundred miles an hour all the time. And whether you've got three kids, whether you've got no kids, whether you're a single person living at home, there's a way that you can implement this kind of a mindset into your life. And, you know, you mentioned the phone. Well, if you have an updated iPhone, it tells you exactly how long you're on different parts of your phone. So if you really want to compare how long you're spending with the Lord or on social media, it tells you exactly, hey, you've been on Instagram for however many minutes. And, you know, I like to use the Bible app. And, um, you know, if, if you don't like using a, a hardbound book like the Bible, if you want to use the app, you can literally compare you know, your time spent on, you know, on social media versus, you know, what you've been doing with the Lord and that kind of thing. And like you said, you don't have to spend an hour on, uh, you know, reading the Bible or doing anything, anything like that. But if you say, man, I don't have any time to do any of this, but you've spent two hours on social media. Well, there's your solution right there. So that's something that for me, I've had to even, um, you know, like th this season of life, my wife and I are really trying to more so me because she's been very good about this, but, you know, creating a true Sabbath. You know, not working at all on a certain day, just completely resting. And we've really been doing a lot of uh, learning about what the word rest really means and how we can rest and just cutting out the things that distract us and that kind of thing. And so I imagine, you know, for you, I guess, what is your Sabbath? I imagine the Sabbath is a big thing for you, but what is what is your Sabbath look like and how if somebody is trying to create a Sabbath where they're completely resting on a certain day? I mean, what is your advice to kind of get started on that? Because at first it can be really hard to break some of those habits. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote about this in the Safe Devotional, and um, I even credit in the Safe Devotional a book that really helped me, which is called The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Scazzaro. Um, that book talks a lot about Sabbath in one of the chapters, and it's definitely what I use to kickstart my own personal Sabbath. So for me, just like Peter in the book he recommends doing is like you create a Sabbath container. So you decide what your 24-hour time block will be. For me, it used to be Thursday night through I think I actually went longer. I think I went Thursday night to Saturday morning, just so it was like completely like all of Friday, you know, like Thursday right. night kind of led into it and Saturday morning I kind of came out of it. But um, I will say it's changed since then, but I'll just tell you what it was to start. It was, I, I went with that whole time block. I did no social media, no emails. I limited phone calls and texts even just because I wanted to be away from my phone as much as possible. And like, your, your Sabbath is really a time for you to delight in God and to be delighted in him. And so doing the things that, that make you feel God's presence or, or help you to, um, just kind of collide with the Holy spirit. So whether that's for some people, that's going to be going outside and being in nature for other people, that's going to be like quietly reading a book and cozying up in the corner. Um, it could be baking for some people. Baking is going to feel like a chore. It's going to feel like work. Right. So I think the beautiful thing is that the Sabbath is what you need it to be based on your relationship with the Lord and the way he's designed you. And so, um, I kind of created mine and it wasn't these rules, like you cannot do these things, but right. I just said, I'm going to set these boundaries. Like I'm not going to be on social media for those 24 hours. Right. And creating all these things. There have been seasons where my Sabbath looks different 
there was a time where my Sabbath was just one hour um, in the afternoons on Tuesdays for like, that was like my weekly Sabbath was one hour in the afternoons on Tuesdays. And if that's your starting point, that's totally okay. Like we don't serve this legalistic God who's like, you're not doing the full 24 hours. Like I have a timer running. Like, no, just really the whole point of it is to say at, at some point in your week, when it makes sense, after you've worked so hard all week, to just exhale, to be with God, to be reminded of who you are in Christ, because our identity can get really caught up in a lot of different things mm-hmm. throughout the week, especially the work week. And a value that my church taught me, and this is also mentioned in my space devotional, is we need to be with God so that doing the work of God doesn't kill the work of God in us. Mm-hmm. I'll say that again for people who are listening. We need to be with God so that doing the work of God doesn't kill the work of God in us. And that doesn't just apply to church staffers or people who work in the Christian world or even a serving job like a nurse or a teacher. It applies to all of us. Doing the work of God is raising your children. Doing the work of God is being the secretary. Doing the work of God is selling whatever you sell online, right? It's all these different things, but you will kill the work of God in you if you don't spend time with God. Like our being with him has to outweigh our doing for him or our doing at all. And that's really hard because we live in 2019, (laughs) almost 2020, where we have technology and connectedness. And um, it's a beautiful thing to have so much opportunity. And yet it can be the very thing that totally separates us from God. And that's what one of my pastors said is that sin is anything that separates you from God. And ever since I've had that definition in my mind, that sin isn't just these bad things that we know that we shouldn't do, but we do anyways, because that's how I used to view it. But no, sin is anything that separates me from God. I have to really pay closer attention to things like my time on social media. And because then I view it as it's not just separating me from God. It's separating me from my family. It's distracting me. Um, I could, again, I could go on and on, but I would recommend anyone who wants to start a Sabbath, pick a time at the end of your work week, whatever point in the week that is. If it starts with an hour, start with an hour. Um, but make that hour restful, make it so that you're not working. But also I love to tell people too, and this is in the space emotional as well. Don't just numb out. That's what a lot of people do. That's not Sabbath. Like binge watching Netflix is not Sabbath. Um, that's just numbing out and don't check out or numb out, check in. So you do that by, like I said, go for a walk and notice what's around you in nature and like give thanks to God. It doesn't even have to be out loud. Like it can be in your head or, um, bake if you love baking and it's just like lights up your soul. And, um, maybe, maybe for you, it is spending time with a friend or someone, um, during your Sabbath. Like for me, that would feel like work. Cause I'm an introvert, but <laughs> whatever works for you, whatever is going to allow you to feel delighted in by God. And to just kind of get back to the bigger purpose in life. I think that's what Sabbath's really all about. That's so great. Um, you know, I think anybody who's listening, I mean, if you're if you're wanting to to get started on this, I mean, the, the space devotional, I think, is a great way to start. I have not read it yet, but now I want to. I want to order it. <laughs> I want to read it. Um, you, you know, as we move into this Christmas season, you know, I, I guess kind of shifting gears here, um, you, you know, you've got foster kids. And I think, you know, in this in this Christmas season, um, I guess, what is the what is the Christmas? What does Christmas look like in the carpenter household. And then on top of that, for parents who maybe are 
on their mind, they have this idea of foster parenting. What advice can you give them? Because this is something that I wanted to make sure I talked to you about, because I know this is something that you're incredibly passionate about, you know? So I guess, what does the Christmas, what, what does Christmas look like in your guys' household? And then, um, you know, how do you advise parents that might have this idea of being a foster parent? Yeah. Um, Christmas looks different every year that we've been fostering. So we've been fostering, this is our third Christmas fostering. And um, sometimes we have kids, sometimes we don't. This year, we still have our three boys that are living with us. And not really, at, I, I don't say at any moment that could change, but every case is different. And our case is at a point where there is some movement, which is really good. That's what you want. The goal of foster care is reunification. And my husband and I have been able to help reunify 13 kids. And then we have these three that we're hoping to be able to reunify, even if they don't go to a biological parent, a biological relative. Um, That's sort of the goal. There are obviously a lot that we could unpack when we talk about foster care, adopting our foster care, all of that. But what I'll focus on is Christmas specifically with my foster children. I have to be really, really aware of their culture, what they come from, what they're used to. Um, I want to be really sensitive to that. Uh, first of all, my children are black and I am white. And so that's been an ongoing thing, not just at the holidays, but specifically with Christmas, you know, I actually asked my kids, like, what's your favorite thing to eat? Like, what would you normally have? Or what would you normally do? Is there a tradition that you have that you want to do? Like, I try to be aware and I'm not perfect by any means, but I try to be really aware so that we incorporate those things because it can be a really sad time for kids who, even if they're, even if they are loved and cared for so well, maybe better than they ever have been before in your home, they can still be really sad and really missing what they consider home with their biological family, even if it's been years since they've lived with them. And that's true for some of our children. And so, um, that's that's kind of part one is just that awareness and like asking questions, getting curious and trying to implement as much of their traditions and cultures and desires into your life um, and realizing it's not about you anymore, which anybody who's ever had kids will say that, right? Biological or not. Right. Once you have kids, life's no longer about you. Um, it'll rid you of selfishness very quickly. And then I think kind of part two for us is we try to make sure that um, our kids I would do this with biological children too. That whole thing that I mentioned earlier, like one thing to wear, one thing uh, to read, one thing they need and one thing they want. I would do that biological or not. But what that helps with is hopefully by only having those four things, like they can take those with them wherever they go next, if they return home at some point. Also, I think it helps because I don't want my children, let's say Christmas was never something that their family was able to buy like a ton of gifts. I don't want them to have this crazy amount of gifts. And they're like, this is the best thing ever. And in a kid's mind, it's like, I never want to leave here. They give me everything I want. They give me all these gifts. Like, I think we're just really aware of that. Um, I work with our children's biological parents to ensure that they have gifts to give the kids. And if they don't, we just label some of them from them and let them give them. Mm -hmm. Like that's to me, what I'm most passionate about with foster care now. And it took experiencing it to really get here but I would say like it's partnering with the whole family. Like don't just foster the cute little child that you're given, foster the whole family and like rally around them. And so, like I said, if they can't afford a gift, don't be so selfish that you won't, you know, just provide the gifts to them to um, put their name on and gift to their kids. Cause that's really important. And what else? Oh, just along with the possible sadness and just things that could be triggering Um, we make sure to tell all of our family and friends, and we, again, we do this outside of Christmas too, but we tell all of our family and friends 
not to force any hugs or physical affection on our children. Um, and I know friends who have biological kids who do the same thing. In general, we want to teach children to um, to respect others, but also to respect their bodies and themselves. And you don't know, especially with foster children, like what they've been through. And so if you're forcing them to give you a hug and you're an aunt who you're an aunt, I put that in quotations, right? Like you could be an aunt, you could be whatever, who um, has only seen them or met them a couple of times, like, and you have no idea what they've gone through. Like, that's not always what's best. So we just, we actually send a text and usually just verbally remind our family and friends when we're with them, like, Hey, like they can do fist pump or high five. Like it's always their choice. If they want to give you a hug, they can absolutely give you a hug. Like we don't try to stop that. We just don't want anything forced on our kids because it can trigger like massive meltdowns and, um, a lot of just hard stuff can come up. So I'm sure I'm forgetting some other pointers, but I think those are like the initial ones that come to my mind. What are some resources that people who are interested in foster care, uh, being a foster parent can go to, whether it's a website or a book or people to talk to or organizations to talk to, you know, what, what are some resources that you suggest? Yeah, I would say number one, Google, like whatever state you're in, just Google foster care in Illinois, foster care in Kentucky, whatever. And you're going to get to your state's website and it has something, they're all titled differently, but maybe it's the Department of Children and Family Services, whatever it is called for your state, you can start doing your research to get information um, about what foster care is like in your state and just get a ton of your questions answered there. From there, you can either apply through your state directly and like start the process or attend an orientation, like an info meeting. Or you can research private agencies, and there's, again, we don't even have enough time to unpack all of that, but you can choose to go through a private agency. My husband and I are with a private agency um, because we're specialized, so we actually take in the foster kids who, quote-unquote, fail out of other foster homes and need a more therapeutic environment. And so, like, they train us to be specialized, and so that's why we're with that agency. But there's so many different... Um, agencies you could go with, whether you go through your state or, or through a private um, sector. But anyways, that's like one place to start. It's just Googling that. Another thing is I have a list of recommended reads on my website. So if you go to mandacarpenter.com and you go to my reads tab, then you'll see there's like different categories of books and there's a category called foster care. And some of them are very, very directly correlated to becoming a foster parent. Um, and some of them are just, I think, really great reads for anyone who might be passionate about that work or entering into that work. So there's a variety to choose from there. I think there's like 10 or 12 books listed. Um, one of my favorite ones is called To the End of June. And I love that one. And it's again, it's on this list. I love that one because it shows every angle of foster care and every perspective. So it shows like a biological child's perspective, a biological mother's perspective, a foster kid's perspective, a foster kid's perspective who was adopted out of foster care a foster kid's perspective who ended up being reunified. And it kind of just gives you this huge picture of what can go right, what can go wrong and all the um, like tension that foster care holds. Cause there's just so much tension. It's joy and sorrow. It's hard and it's holy. It's, mm-hmm. it is both and at all times. And so you hold attention 24 seven. Um, yeah, those would definitely be my starting points is read books, listen to podcasts. There's a podcast called the Honestly Adoption Podcast. Um, it's not just about adoption, um, so don't get caught off by the title. Um, but they talk a lot about foster care. There's just, I mean, we just live in a world where there's so many resources at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. Like following 
foster parents on Instagram. Like you'll learn a lot. If you go to my page, I post a lot about it and I have a whole Instagram story highlights on foster care. And I did a whole series and I think people have learned a ton through, um, the series. That's like, if you're thinking about being a foster parent, here's what you should know. Um, I, I spell it out and I tell the truth. So yeah, you're definitely, you're, you're incredibly vulnerable about it, which is awesome to see. And you know, if I I think your page, I mean, I don't know too foster parents. I know several people that have adopted kids, but in your page, I mean, you, you, you don't hide a whole lot. I mean, you're, Hey, this is a struggle we had today. These are some joys we had today. And yeah, I mean, you're right. It's here it is. Like if you want to be a foster parent, this is a pretty good view of what it looks like. Yeah, totally. Um, before we head out here, one of the questions I always like to ask somebody, um, is, you know, as you think back to, I guess a year ago, you were talking about the space devotional and you know you're like man it's already been a year i guess in this season of life maybe if you want to think about it a year last two years i guess what have you learned about god in this past season of life however you define this past season what have you learned about god mm, that god is so much better and bigger and more incredible than i thought i feel like every year on my birthday I have this realization that like life is so much bigger and better and amazing than I thought. And like the same is true about God, um, that he is faithful and like that you really can bring anything to God and he won't forsake you or leave you. Um, that took some hard experiences in the last year. Like I said, that practice of confession in my life, which I talk about a lot in my new book that I'm working on, um, that has been. I feel like I've almost put God to the test in a sense of like, okay, God, you said you won't leave me and that the world won't come crashing down when this gets out and here I go. And then it's like, I met with more grace and compassion and love. And I'm like, okay, only you, God, like only you could answer my prayers or, or um, provide in the way that you have. That, that's my personal take on it. I think what I've also learned is just that God is so different to each person. Different, not in the sense that like he himself or she or what I mean that even that like I don't know if God has a gender right, but that that God is different to each of us in the sense that like maybe the God you believe in is the same God I believe in, even if we would describe our relationship differently. And I don't know. I think like I'm continuing to just have this like mind blowing wider perspective of God. Mm -hmm. And I don't at all claim to have a grip on who God is, but like, it's just been amazing. And it's been, yeah, it's been really cool. Like I'm enjoying my time with God more than I have in the past. And I think it's because I'm also just like letting go of these uh, expectations and these, um, pick this picture in my mind of what maybe is supposed to be of God. And instead just kind of like having my own relationship where I put it to the test for myself and God continues to like prove to me that he's better than I could have ever imagined. Well, that's great. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me. This was awesome to just hear your story and, you know, for any aspiring writers, I definitely hope that they listen to this because there's so much wisdom in how to approach writing and the book industry. And I'm just glad we, we get to cover a whole bunch of topics here, a wide variety, wide variety of topics. And I just appreciate you, your, your vulnerability. I mean, your Instagram, like you're always just so open and, you know, it's, it's refreshing in a world where, you know, people always want to put their highlights out there. Well, sometimes you're saying, Hey, look, today wasn't 
all that great. And this is real life. And I think the world needs more of that. And, you know, I, I just, I, that's, that's why I was so excited to talk to you. You know, there's just so many good things that, that you, that you do, you know, you have excited for your book that's coming out. I can't wait to read that in 2021. I can't believe yeah. we have to wait, we have to wait over a year for it, but, but it'll but make hopefully the by then, Hopefully by then I have my elevator pitch. Nailed yeah. Down. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a title for it yet? Are you allowed to share that or I'm not going to share only because we do, but I have gone back and forth on it. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold that. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that your family has a Merry Christmas and just excited to see, uh, you know, what your family does for the holidays and all of that. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's been fun. Well, hey, if you made it through a whole hour of this podcast, you're already on the right track to creating some space in your life. Many of you, however, probably listened to this while you were wrapping gifts or Christmas shopping or doing a number of other Christmas-related things, which is totally fine too. But I hope that you came away from this conversation with some ideas on how to create space in your life, especially during busy seasons. Hey, if you're looking for a last-minute Christmas gift idea, Manda's devotional space is a great option. Head to mandacarpenter.com to purchase that. Also, be sure to follow her on social media and let her know that you enjoyed her being on this show. I'll have her social media links in the show description, so make sure you check those out and give her a follow. Hey, next week's episode is a special episode. I'm not going to give away too many hints just yet, but make sure that you tune back in for next week's episode because I am super excited about it, and I really hope that you guys will enjoy it as well. But as always, thank you guys for listening, and if you need me at all, You can find me, Cole Claiborne, on pretty much every social media platform. We'd love to hear from you guys. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the show. If you have any suggestions or guests that you'd like to see on, please feel free to reach out. And I'm always happy to connect with people who are listening. So we'll see you next week.